because we're getting ready to cover Satan, the great doctrine to the Bible. And tonight we're going to be talking about Satan and so what the Bible says about Satan. So let's pray and ask God to help us and, and uh, help us uh, realize how important this is. Father, we sure do love you tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we can go to it, Lord, and pull out of it the truths that we are to believe, Lord, not to impose what the world thinks and what other books say, but Lord, what your word says. And so help us tonight to do that very thing, to exegete or pull out of the scriptures, Lord, what we can to learn about Satan. Uh, it's so important because he's real, he's our adversary, and he's on the attack. So help us to be better armed and prepared to face the, the wiles of the devil. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we've been studying for quite a while the great doctrines of the Bible. Got just a couple weeks left, and last two times we were studying angels and angelology. This kind of goes with that, but of course we're going to look at the, uh, I guess the biggest fallen angel of them all, and that's Satan himself tonight, and he deserves kind of his own lesson. The next two weeks, or next week we'll have a lesson, I think the week after that's trunk or treat, or uh, the, our harvest fest, and then one more after that. And so eschatology is what's on the tap, and that's the study of end times, so, so you know. Uh, there's no way you can even begin to think about covering that uh, justly in two weeks, but we're going to do our best, so uh, y'all hang in there. We'll definitely dig into the rapture. You want to know why I care more about that? Because that's the one I'm going in. <laughs> the rest of it, I'll just witness and be with the Lord and watch everything else happen, but we'll, we'll definitely cover that one uh, a little more thoroughly and then uh, kind of give you a timeline of the rest of the events and an overview of it. But anyway, tonight, Satanology, what the Bible says about Satan. Now, remember how we defined angelology when we, when we talked about this. My definition on how we put the study together was this, the study of all created beings that are not part of the human race. So the idea there is... Uh, is, uh, listen, anything that wasn't human that falls in this category that the Lord created in that sense, that's a, that's a being fell into our study. And so, so tonight, as I usually do as we get started, you know, why, why should we study Satan? Why should we study what the Bible, let me, let me rephrase that. Why should we study what the Bible says about Satan? Uh, we have to be very careful with that. Um, and I think it's, uh, like most things, it's, it's kind of two things. You'll find some that never study anything about him, and then then we'll have some that, uh, the other mistake a lot of people make is they'll study from all kinds of sources outside the Bible. We need to stay in here where we're safe. And God revealed to us what he wanted us to know about him. So let's stick with what he wanted us to know and study that together tonight. So the importance of it, I gave you some thoughts like tonight, why it's important to study. Well, Satan can strongly influence believers. How many of y'all agree with that? He can strongly influence believers. He certainly can. In fact, Paul wrote this in Ephesians 4.27. He said, neither give place to the devil. Give place. And that word place is an interesting word. It, it comes from the word topos in the Greek. And it literally means like we get typographic map. You all know those maps you look at? And, and they have like the, they can see where the ridges are and all that. Those, those typography type maps. And it really has the idea when you're thinking about give place to the devil. It means give him a spot on the map of your life to work from. Give him a place in your life to work from because he can't take it on his own. And so, so many times we, we tend to do that. If we don't understand how he works and, and the things he does, then we can end up certainly giving him place to work from in our lives. And then another reason besides his strong influence on us would, would be he has to, to understand he has a well-planned strategy against believers. Well-oiled machines, what he is, if you want to think of it that way. Uh, he's been, it's kind of the same thing over and over, but it works. And, you know, as I was, as I was growing up, I was always told, listen, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? <laughs> and that's kind of the way he operates. Hey, it didn't broke, still works today, just like it did in the Garden of Eden. His method's the same, and he keeps going. And, in fact, listen to what the Bible said about that. In Ephesians 6, and verse 11, and you should have that in your notes, but it tells us, of course, to put on the whole armor of God. But then it says this, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The wiles of the devil. And that word wiles is, comes from the word methodoia, or methodia, sorry. And that's his schemes, that's his craftiness, it's his methods, like we would think of. The way the devil works. So we need to understand how he works. He's got a, a strategy that works, and we understand what that is, because he wants to use it against you, he wants to use it against me. Uh, and so, so that's why it's important to study him. Also, our, we need to understand our basic conflict in life is really against him. Uh, against him. Sometimes we think our conflict's against people, don't we? Yeah, against, uh, uh, so sometimes we think it's Satan. Sometimes it's our own sin nature. But listen, he'll use all of that stuff 
uh, to battle against us. Listen to Ephesians 6 and verse 12. We've covered that one many times, but just be reminded of that. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, the Bible says, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So who's our battle with? Uh, it's ultimately against spiritual wickedness in high places. And, and the devil's crafty, and he'll use our, our prone sin nature. He'll use other people. He'll use all these other tools. But at the end of the day, our, our enemy is the invisible one. He's powerful. He's got forces that he uses, and we need the assistance. So let me encourage you this. Sometime get into Ephesians chapter 6 as an adult and study the armor of God because that's written for adults battling against Satan. We've made that into a wonderful little kid's Bible study lesson. That is for adults battling against Satan. We, I, can't under, I can't overemphasize how important uh, that chapter is for us. Uh, and so, so don't just think of it as a great little kid's story and so forth. And so we understand why we're going to study about Satan. Satan can strongly influence us. He has a well-planned strategy to use against us, methods to use. Uh, our conflict's ultimately against him and against the, uh, the forces that are with him. And then, and then also it would be this, great confusion exists about him. We often are ignorant of our approaches. Now, you, know, you say, well, you just called me ignorant, preacher. I didn't, I didn't. <laughs> the Bible called us all that. <laughs> and how many of you would say, yeah, I definitely am sometimes, and I know I am. And, uh, but sometimes we don't understand his approaches, but they're not in secret. The Bible tells us, hey, we can know them, and we can know about it. And look, look at 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11 there. Paul wrote, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. So we need to know his purposes. That's what the word devices means. It comes from the word noma, his plots against us. And so, so sometimes we're just ignorant how he works. So, so we need to learn that as we talked about a little bit earlier. But we also sometimes underestimate his power. We certainly do. You remember when he came to tempt Jesus? If you remember that, that account over in Matthew chapter 4, uh, the devil comes and, attempt, and tries to tempt Jesus and and the Bible says in Matthew 4, 8, again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world. This is the devil showing Jesus in the wilderness, all these kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he offers them to him. Y'all remember that? You know what's interesting when you read that? Jesus didn't condemn him. Jesus didn't rebuke him and say, that's not yours to give. Isn't that something? He's got some power, is what I'm saying. Sometimes we greatly underestimate that. Uh, in fact, the Bible goes on to tell us that he's the little G, but he's the God of this world in the little G sense. And 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, in whom the little G God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. And, and so the Bible also calls him this, the prince and power of the air. Ephesians 2.2, 2, where in time past, or in past, in time past, you walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince and power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So think about it. He's called the little G God of this world. He's the prince and the power of the air. And listen, we as mankind are no match in ourselves for Satan. He's powerful. And sometimes we underestimate his power. A couple of people walked in. Anybody need notes? You need notes, ma'am? <laughs> Help you follow along. Yep. Give me some. There you go. There's some on the back, too, if anybody, if you ever come in. Back corner, Jamie can help you out, point you in the right direction, too, if anybody else needs some. Appreciate that. Uh, so many times we underestimate his power. Now, sometimes we make the other problem, don't we? We overestimate his power. Uh, way overestimate it. And some see, I think, sometimes we get this vision of it's God versus Satan, you know, and it certainly is to an extent, but we, we sometimes envision them like they're, they're even or something, and we're hoping God wins, you know. Can I remind you, even though he's the prince and power of the air, and even though he's the little g-god of this world, and he, he's got some freedom here, he can't do anything that God doesn't allow him to do. And if you study the book of Job, and you'll, you'll find out, he comes in, and uh, Satan comes before the Lord, and, and he says, does Job fear God for naught? Hasn't you made a hedge around him? I'll just kind of summarize it. You blessed his hands and all that. And, and, he, and so the devil tells the Lord, he says, but put forth your hand now, touch all if he have, and he'll curse thee to your face. In fact, God, you do that, he'll curse you. He ain't going to serve you anymore. 
Here's what the Lord said to Satan. Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. The Lord gave it to Satan. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So the Lord limited his power. But he gave him a whole lot of power. The Lord is the overall victor. Amen. And Satan even knew that. Satan said, I can't touch him. He, he only worshiped you because you bless him. I, I can't touch you. you got a hedge around him. And, and that's what Satan accused the Lord of. He said, okay, go on. Do anything, you just can't touch him. So the Lord is all-powerful. And he, he, that's what we're trying to say. So, so don't make the mistake of overestimating his power either is, the, is what I'm trying to say. Satan's power is inferior to God's. How many of you are thankful for that? I know I certainly am. Because greater is he that's in you than he is that in what? The world. And, and it's talking about that. So we, we just got to get the balance is what I'm saying. And so lastly, we have a, certainly a wrong perspective all, often of him. We picture him as that little red-tailed, you know, pitchfork, <laughs> hat-wearing little thing running around that red suit. And, but the Bible tells us something a little different about him. The Bible describes him this way in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. It says, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. We're going to see a lot of this from Ezekiel 28 tonight, but uh, the Bible tells us there that, Thus saith the Lord God, thou sealest up the sum. I'll break that down a little bit. Full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. In other words, here's what he's saying. Here's what the Lord even said. You're one of the most beautiful things I've ever created. Full of wisdom. Beautiful. Transforms himself into an angel of light. In other words... Don't get the picture of a, uh, he's going to be up here as this monster looking or this pitchfork wearing. He could come in and be the most articulate person you've ever seen. He might even carry a Bible in some places. <laughs> he might preach and the most charismatic and you just so enjoy listening to him. That's why we always got to line up with what's being said with Scripture, right? That's our authority as we, uh, as we talk about in the bibliography lesson. And we just got to be careful. He, he can be the most beautiful thing in the world, uh, the Bible tells us here. Full of wisdom, perfect in beauty, uh, transformed into an angel of light. So sometimes we get the wrong perspective. It's just we're, we're picturing something completely different than what the Bible teaches about him. So that, that's the reasons to study. So let's talk about some names. We'll go through this pretty quick. Uh, we won't look up every verse in this one, but some of the biblical names of Satan. And he's got a lot of them. <laughs> uh, of course, we'll start with the Old Testament name that many of us know, the, the name Lucifer, which means bright, shining one. Uh, Isaiah 14, verse 2 is where we find that. And how thou art fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how thou art cut, cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations. And so the bright, shining one, Lucifer, is one of his names. Uh, uh, he's also called the anointed cherub. We'll look into that a little more, so I won't expand on that a whole lot because we're going to look at Ezekiel 28 quite a bit here in just a little bit. But the anointed cherub, if you remember, we were studying angels, we studied cherubims. So he's called the anointed cherub, so we'll put that together here in a little bit. So we know he was of the angel catarizations, I guess. He was, he was of the cherubs, uh, cherubim family, we'll see that. Uh, he's also, of course, we know he's called Satan. That's what Jesus called him, get thee hence, Satan. For it is written that man, that thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shall thou serve, and, and Matthew 4, 10. And, uh, he's called Bezalbub, and, and the, which means the Lord of the flies, the Lord of the dead things, and, uh, and uh, the prince of devils he's called. He's called the dragon in Revelation 12 and verse 9. And when that great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, the Bible tells us about that. Got a lot of names. The old serpent right there in that same passage. He's called the tempter. Matthew 4, verse 3, when he came to tempt Jesus, the Bible says there, and when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. He's called the prince of, the, uh, of this world. John chapter 12, verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of the world be cast out. And he's also called the father of lies. And, and uh, the Bible makes abundantly clear that's what he is. And uh, you remember Jesus said in John 8, verse 44, You are of your father the devil. The lust of your father you would do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he's a liar and the father of it. And, and he's called, of course, the prince of devils. And, uh, uh, that, that, uh, this fellow does not cast out devils, but Bezalbub, the prince of devils, he does it. He's called the little G-God of this world. We saw that already. The prince and power of the air. And, of course, he's called 
the devil uh, himself, the word the devil. So think about all those names for just a minute uh, as we think about the devil here. All right, we think about Satan and his names. Lucifer, the anointed cherub, Satan, Bezelbub, dragon, old serpent, tempter, prince of the world, father of lies, prince of, of devils or demons, the god of this world, the prince and power of the air, and devil. A lot of different names in it given in the Bible, and, uh, and all those are applied to Satan. And then you can read about, and I didn't give you all these, and I won't go into all these, but the functional character of her, the character of Satan. Uh, boy, he's called wicked. He's called murderous. He's called deceptive. He's destructive. He's proud. He's powerful. He's rebellious. And you can go read about all that in those verses sometime and learn about his character because those are important things to learn. So, so where did he come from? That's going to be the question. And let's go sit down for a little bit in the Word of God tonight. Ezekiel chapter 28, flip in your Bible there or your app or whatever you're using. Uh, do you need paper? You good? You need a paper? Okay. Gotcha. Uh, flip in your Bible there and uh, we'll, we'll look at uh, some truths about where did he come from? Who created? Was he created? We already know that answer, don't we? We've been studying angelology. But, uh, and did, was he created evil? Was another question that often comes up. And so, so we'll look at that because Ezekiel 28 starts to answer some of that and Isaiah will answer the rest of it. But Ezekiel chapter 28, and let's read together. Just a, We'll pick up verse number 11 and probably read all the way down to 19 and then we'll just come back and break it down a little bit. Um, so one of the things in the Word of God, what you want to do is usually go find the first mention and things. And, and uh, there's a law of first mention, which means the foundations you find out about any topic uh, the first time it's mentioned, it will just be expanded on, added on all throughout the rest of the Bible. But those truths will never go away. They're always true about them. And so it's always cool to mention that. Now, timeline-wise, this probably isn't the first mention that's in Genesis, but, but we'll see the first mention of going back in history on how he fell and where he came from and so forth from here. So I want to talk about the formation. And so let's look at Satan's creation here in just a minute, but let's read it first. Ezekiel 28, verse 11, just so I know you're with me, say amen, you're there, and we're ready to read. All right, let's read it. The Bible says this, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up thy a lamentation against the king of Tyrus, and say, uh, say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum of full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was, was thy covering. Uh, the sardius and topaz, and I won't be able to read all these, and the diamond and the, and the, the barrel and the onyx and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald and the, the carbuncle and the gold and the workmen of thy tabrets and, and of thy pipes were, were prepared in thee in the day that thou was, what's that next word? Created. If you ever had any questions about, was he created? The Bible makes it pretty clear, doesn't it? Go on. Thou art the anointed cherub. We mentioned that earlier. We'll see that a little more in a minute. That covereth, and I have set uh, thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of the fire. Or the fire sorry. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day thou was created. Two things I want you to see. How was he when he was created? Perfect in what? All thy ways. So he wasn't created evil. The Bible's explained that already. And twice now we've seen he was what? Created, the Bible said. Tell iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned, therefore I will cast thee as a profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub. From the midst of the stones of the fire, thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before the kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be any more. And so we see here, let's break this down a little bit and see what happened. So first thing I want you to see about where did Satan come from, uh, the formation of Satan, we see he was created twice, it says that. Verse 13, 
uh, it, it says, thou was created. In verse 15, it says, thou was perfect uh, in all thy ways from the day that thou was created. And you said, when was he created? Well, you remember we studied that in angels uh, uh, already, angelology. Uh, uh, certainly could have been in the days of creation, but I believe, based on Job 38, verse 7, that he was created before those days of creation when he created the world, because the Bible seems to indicate that they were angels were shouting and, and, uh, and praising at the creation of the world. And, and so uh, we know they were created also by, by the Lord or by God himself, by the Lord Jesus Christ, if you get, want to really break it down, because the New Testament tells us all things were created by him and for him, and by him all things consist. And all certainly means all. So we see he's a created one. But notice his consecration with me also. He, verse 14, he was called the anointed cherub. Thou art the anointed cherub. Now, if you remember back in our angel study, we, we found out that cherubims were four-winged angels. Remember? You know, if they had four wings, uh, uh, you know, were they an anthrop anthropomorphism? I don't know, but we're just going to... Pretend they literally had four wings because it does say that. And so uh, certainly was a way to make us understand, if nothing else. But we learned something about cherubims. Remember what their work was? They were the ones assigned to guard the throne of God, the things of God. And the Satan, Satan apparently was greater than all the other cherubim because he was called the anointed cherubim. And Lucifer, of course, is named before his fall. You think of it this way. He was the highest created being of God. And so... We see the anointed cherub, cherubim there. Uh, and then, then look at his characteristics. Verses 11 through 15 kind of list out all the characteristics. It's the longest statement, if you want to look at it this way, in all the Bible about any angel. Five verses there uh, of just describing Satan himself and the qualities and, and uh uh, being created that he, listen, he gives no other angel those type things. But it's all summarized, I believe. Look at verse number 12 in this. It says, thou sealest up the sum. Thou sealest up the sum. And the summary of all, sealest means they put a seal on something when the transaction's complete. They mark it. It was signified as a, a completion of something. The sum means the full measure. You're missing nothing. You're, you're, you're fully proportionate. You, nothing to be approved on. It, so it was a seal of perfection is kind of what it's saying. Thou sealest up the sum is what he's saying. Uh, now, it's interesting if you, if you broke out a concordance and you knew a little bit of Hebrew and I knew one owned a diner down the road, and no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if, you, if you had some classes there and you broke it out, which you would learn, the theologians will tell you this too, if you read after them, that in Hebrew language, one of the things you'll learn is, if you study it, is they don't do things like we do. We do subject, verb, and then whatever else is coming after it, if you think about it, uh, object, uh, and so forth. So, Mike ran fast. That's that's a lie. That never could happen. All right. <laughs> uh, but, you know, dog, run, you know, subject, verb, object uh, is kind of how we do it in English. In the Hebrew, it's always verb first, then subject and object, unless they want to emphasize something. Like the strongest way of saying something in the Hebrew, uh, they tell me, is when they reverse that. Instead of doing verb, subject, object, they do it kind of like we do in English, and they do subject first. And in this case, that was first. One of the few cases in the Bible where that was done. So it was like a, a way of emphasis, if you would, of saying, listen, thou sealest up the sum. One of the most perfect things I've ever created. Just perfectly proportionate. It's marked, it's sealed, and, and so forth. And, uh, and, and it, it says this, son of man, take up a lamentation against the king of Tyrus. Now, some you'll read after will say, oh, this isn't talking about Satan. This is talking about the, the king of Cyrus. And, and uh, a lot of times they'll say that because if you go back to Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 2, flip back there, there was a real man, the prince of Ty Tyrus, who was a real ruler in that day. And in verse number 2, that's what he's talking about. Son of man, say unto the prince of Tyrus. But notice what happens here. Verse 2 is talking about the prince of Tyrus. You get to verse 12, what's it talking about? The king of Ty. There's a difference there. And the prince reverses the king. And so most theologians believe that they're talking about, hey, this is the spirit that controlled that prince. In other words, that's exactly what Satan did, a clear picture of him. Now look what it says about him. He says, 
thou sealest up the sum, and then it gives us two more things, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Full of wisdom. Lucifer, one of the most knowledgeable, wise of all of God's created beings. Full literally means maximum capacity. Wisdom is, it, it, wisdom is both knowledge and skill. It's the ability to put, to use, and apply knowledge. And they're, they're a little different. You understand the difference between knowledge and wisdom, right? Knowledge is a, just head smarts, and, and a lot of people have that. You know, wisdom comes from, hey, I know what to do with those head smarts. Uh, sometimes that's gained by experience. Sometimes uh, it's gained by mistakes and, and so forth. But, uh, but this one, he says what he says about him, you are full of of knowledge or, or you're full of wisdom in other words your your knowledge they can put to use and certainly uh satan can uh you think about illustrate the difference between uh anybody ever uh yeah we got a little bit older crowd here we can get it everybody remember stick shifts i wish they still how many members three on the column I, I, I love those old trucks anyway i wish they still made those uh now, if this was a young crowd, they'd say, what's that, right? <laughs> uh, one of the things I wanted to make sure both my boys could do is drive a stick shift. I don't know if they'd ever use it in their life or not, but they're going to know how to do it. So, so we bought this old piece of junk truck that you know, wouldn't pass inspection and so forth, had a little bit of land, and they both learned to drive. And we had a blast with it, too, because you could run in trees and it didn't matter. It was an old, old, old truck. But, uh, but it's interesting, when you're teaching somebody something, you, know, you could sit down and give them book knowledge, and say, here's what you do before you take off. You push the clutch in, right? You put it in gear. Then you release that clutch, you know, really slowly. starts to grab. Give it just enough gas to go so you're not spinning out. And, but enough so you're not stalling. And you know, it's that perfect. And you can describe that all day long. And then, then once you go, and hopefully you're not just bucking, 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 right? <laughs> you start to go down the road, and, and it winds up kind of tight. And you know what you got to do? You got to push the clutch in and go to the next gear. Then let the clutch back out and go, I could tell them that all day. That's knowledge. And they could know what to do. But until they got behind the seat and actually went down and practiced it and did it, that becomes, that becomes wisdom, knowing how to apply that knowledge. And so think about this. When you think about Satan, the Bible says he is full of wisdom. He only has smarts. He knows how to use them. That's what it's saying. And then it goes on to say he's perfect in beauty. And everybody in this room, I think, can say, yeah, I agree with that. He is. He knows how to use them. He knows my weak points, and uh, he knows every one of us' weak points, I believe. Uh, perfect in beauty, it goes on to say. Whole or complete. He's not that chubby, rosy-faced thing that we run around with a bow and arrow in his hand. He's intelligent. He's beautiful. You can't improve on him. That's kind of the idea. The ultimate in beauty and wisdom. So we see his formation here and. Uh, uh, we, we see those characteristics about him, his consecration. He was a, a cherubim, but he was not just a cherubim. He was the anointed cherubim. But, but let's go on. Let's look at the pre-fall function of him. Look at verse 14 with me in our text here. And it says, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou was upon the holy mountain, God. Thou didst walk up. Walk, uh, thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of the fire. It was in heaven. Certainly, we learned cherubim as a whole. He usually guarded the throne of God. The anointed cherubim. I believe what he's saying here is: this. he had the, the he was the had the head. He was the head of those who were guarding the throne of God in heaven. What a job! Think about that. What a position. Uh, I, you know, it seems like everybody wants titles. Can you imagine that title? What's yours? I'm the CEO of those who guard the throne of God. That's a pretty good title, right? So think about that role that he had. But like a lot of people, you know what? You get a little role, you also get a little prideful, right? And we're going to see that here in just a moment. And before we do, let's go on. Not only we see his appointment there, that God had set him in that place, but we also see his attire. The Bible talks about how... Uh, how he was covered in all those beautiful, precious stones in verse 13. He says, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, it says down through there. And it goes on to say this. This is something I found interesting anyway. At the end, uh, after listing all those, all those precious stones, and it says, and gold. <laughs> you know you got a bunch of precious stones when it just says, and gold, right? But look what it says next. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes... Now, you, you study out those two. Tabrets would be like a little drum. 
pipes would be like flutes or something, like instruments, but they were musical instruments. But the, the tabrets, the workmanship of his, talking about Satan's, was prepared in the, in the day that I was created. And so he also seemed to have a musical instruments. He may have been the leader of the, he might have been the, the, the music leader in heaven, even. I can't say that for sure, but it's interesting that, uh, that that's mentioned in it. And I'll just say this, and we'll go on. We won't sit down on this real long, but can I just tell you one of the greatest battlegrounds you'll ever find amongst the people of God is around music? You think that's by accident? You ever think about that? Why is that a battleground? I mean, just, just throwing it out there. I can't prove all that. I'm just saying, why is that that way? Uh, how many of you remember growing up? Some again, some of you, some of you people my age that we can talk. <laughs> Y'all remember this? How many of you remember growing up and had record players? Y'all remember those things? Remember growing up? They always said, "No, I never heard one," because I never had a record player go backwards. I guess. But you remember if you play that album backwards, you'll hear Satan. You remember that? I can't say that's true or not, honestly, because I've never heard it. I heard things that were supposed to be it you know, of recordings and so forth. I don't know. Uh, but just interesting to think about all that. He was certainly musical. The Bible makes that abundantly clear. May have been not only guarding the throne, but the head of music up there. And why is that such a battleground amongst Christians? Everybody's got their own opinion. I don't think we should sing that type song. I don't think we should sing that song. You know where we're coming? Pride, pride, pride. I'm going to quit preaching. We're going to go on. All right. <laughs> I'll, leave, I'll leave that for pastor. Uh, so interesting, though, isn't it? If you really get fascinated with it. Uh, and then, of course, his aptitude, it tells us, verse 15, that thou was perfect in thy ways from the day thou was created until iniquity was found in thee. Until iniquity was found in thee. So let's look at his fault because it says until iniquity was found in thee. Flip with me over to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. And Isaiah tells us a little bit about, about that fall we were just talking about, uh, uh, about that iniquity that's found in him. Here it talks about Satan and uses, the, the, again, his Old Testament name there, Lucifer, the light bearer, his pre-fall uh, name. And Isaiah 14 and verse number 12. So I'll give you a moment. Let me know when you're there. Because we're going to see the same thing over and over that caused his fall. And this is an area we got to be careful with. Because ultimately that's one of the ways he likes to, likes to get us all messed up. It's making everything about us. Right. Uh, look what it, so the fall of Satan. So if you're there at Isaiah 14, let me hear an amen. We'll go on. All right. Look at verse number 12 here. Well, first, let's look what I called the cause of the fall. The Bible says, how, thou, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cast down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, uh, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt uh, my, my throne above the stars of God, I will sing also upon the mount of the congregation. So my Bible's got one of those little wrinkles in it here. Let me get it pulled out. You ever have one page that just folded up a little bit on you? I'm missing all the key words there because I want to emphasize I, I, I all the way through there. Uh, for thou hast, uh, thou hast said in thine heart, I will send, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the, uh, of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. I believe you're getting serious now. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pits. And so we see here Lucifer again meaning light bearer his pre-fall name. The devil if you would uh, he wasn't content to just be able to be the CEO, the guard of the throne of God, or maybe even his praise leader. He wasn't content to be the light bearer for God. He wasn't content to be second to God at all. He wanted to emphasize his own power, his own strength, his own beauty, his own brightness, and he lifted up his own self. You know what that's called? It's called pride. I will. I will. Look down through there. How many times did he say, I will, I will, I will, in Isaiah chapter 14? Lucifer basically did this. He set his will against God's, and he rebelled. Do you know, in eternity's past, I believe there was really only one will, right, in the universe. That's why it was made perfect harmony. But here comes the second will, 
Lucifer introduced that. And that was one of the major consequences of the fall. There's now a second wheel. Satan would, would then tempt man to do the very same thing, to declare their uh, man's opposition to, to God's will, if he would. And certainly we now all have our own will. Adam and Eve did. You and I have our own will. The Bible makes that abundantly clear. In fact, Isaiah 53, verse, uh, verse, three, all, uh, 53, verse 6 tells us uh, that we all go our own way, right? All we like sheep have gone our own way, the Bible says. Our will, our way. It's all about us, us, us. And over and over it says that. And, and so Lucifer here introduced a second will. And that's the result of pride. of being. It's, it brought conflict. It brought disharmony, as it always does. You know, every time I've noticed, and uh, you know, I pastored for 15-plus years, and every time I did counseling with someone, and every time I even experienced in my own life, right, when there's conflict, it's usually there's two different wheels battling against each other. Just conflicts, two wheels. It's amazing how that same stuff happens over and over. And you get a husband and wife and uh, conflict, you're going to find out they get two different wheels happening at the time. You get them in harmony with God's will, though, I'm going to tell you, that's when it becomes the, the beautiful marriage that God intended. And you have harmony in the home. One of the great verses to ever apply, and I'll, I'll get, quit preaching get back on Satan here, but for your life would be Ephesians 5.21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. You know what that means? For, for a relationship, for a husband and wife, it means putting your, men means putting your wife's needs before your own. Wives, you know what that means for you? Putting your husband's needs before your own. Pretty simple. For both doing that, guess what? You're going to have a pretty harmonious home. Every conflict comes when we quit doing those things. By the way, that doesn't apply to marriage. That applies to every relationship in life. That applies to your church families, your brothers and sisters in church. It, reply, it applies to workplace. It reply, applies to every relationship we have. The root issue of every piece of contention. And by the way, let me just go this far. I believe the root issue of every sin, other than a false view of God, is pride. I have gone through the Bible many times on that study, and I'm almost ready to be completely dogmatic about it. I've never found any conflict in the Bible, any sin in the Bible that you couldn't trace back to pride. And you say, if you come up with one, let me know. I'd sure love to, to know that, but uh, pride seems to be the root problem every single time. You know, the Bible says a lot about pride, doesn't it? See if you know some of these verses. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before what? Y'all know it? Before fall, right? How about Proverbs 13, 10? Only by pride cometh what? Contention? Y'all know, did you catch that? Only by pride cometh contention. So anytime I got contention with somebody over something, there's pride involved. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Just to summarize and think about that. Uh, Proverbs 14, 3, in the mouth of the fool, foolish is the rod of pride. I know you all know Proverbs 16, 18, right? Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before what? Before foul. Yep. Over and over the Bible talks about that. In the New Testament, 1 John 2, 16, for all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the what? Pride of life. It's not of the Father, but is of this world. Who's the little G God of this world? Satan. Why did he fall? He's prideful. I will, I will, I will, I will be like the most. I will, I will say, I'm going to do all this. Now what's he doing? Same thing. Trying to get us to appeal to our flesh and our pride over and over. And if he does that, guess what? We've got to be aware of those devices. That's, he's going to, have to create contention even amongst believers. And he's accomplished his job, if we think about that. Uh, Jesus warned us about that exalting self, didn't he? He said in Matthew 23, verse 12, And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, but he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. And then Peter put it this way, 1 Peter 5, 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. So anytime sinful pride enters our lives or grips our hearts, can I tell you, we're heading for contention, we're heading for a fall. That is exactly what happened to Lucifer. That, that we need to be careful of because it could happen to us as well. He said, I'm going to exalt myself. I'm going up. And God said, no, you're not. You're going down. And down he came, cast out of heaven. Luke chapter 10, verse 18, he said, And he said unto him, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. By the way, he didn't fall alone. Remember all those, uh, those angels we read about last week? The, the, the fallen angels, the ones that followed him? 
The Bible says, listen, he didn't fall alone. Jude, in verse number 6, says, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath preserved an everlasting change under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Second Peter 2 Peter 2.4 says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And of course, Revelation 12.4, His tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for her to devour her child as soon as it was born. And so one of the keys I want you to get from that is simply this. When we mess up, when we fall, we never fall alone. Isn't that a great principle to think about? (laughs) Everything we do affects somebody else. The Bible tells us, Romans 14, verse 7, For none of us liveth unto himself, and no man dieth unto himself. Uh, Satan fell. He didn't fall alone. A third of them went with him. Uh, the angels followed him and are now under the condemnation of God. And so we, we see the, the fall there, what happened. Then, then finally, the condemnation of the fall. And, uh, I'm thankful for this. There's one more fall Satan's yet to make. Amen. Uh, you read about it at the end of time. This one isn't by his own choosing, though. The final one's going to come when God casts him and all his cronies into the lake of fire. Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And that's his fate. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited about his fate after what he's called and so forth. And you say, you shouldn't be excited about that. Hey, it's not a human being. Amen. It's a, it's a spiritual being and he, he has messed us up. And so I am excited about that. But guess what? He's not there yet. He's still the prince and power of the air. He's still a little G-God of this world. He's still got power here in this world. and So we see the pre-fall, but we also see the post-fall function and operation of, of Satan. And this is where we'll close tonight, but I want you to, uh, to see how he kind of works. So how's he working today? We, we looked at history here. We looked at uh, how he was created. We looked at uh, the simple reason of pride, 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 the reason he fell, and those that followed him and his fall affected other people. So we learned a lot about him, but How's he working today? Because this is where the rubber meets the road, right? How's he working and interfacing in our lives today? And, and so the Bible tells us a lot about the post-fall function and operation of Satan. Uh, three verses or three or four verses there I want you to grab, just main word out of. Ephesians 6.11 says, the wiles of the devil. He's got wiles. He's cunning. That's what that word means. He's crafty. He's deceitful. Full of trickery. That's wiles. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11, uh, talks about the devices of the devil. That means his thoughts are his evil purposes, if you would. So he's got evil purposes, this cunning, smart, deceitful, crafty, trickery, with full of evil purposes. The Bible talks about the snares of the devil in 2 Timothy and two, chapter 2, verse 26. That's the trap, the noose, if you would. It's like the old noose around the neck. Listen, the trap, the trick that he's going to put, that he wants to put out there. And we've got to be careful not to be snared by the devil. And then it warns us in 1 Peter 5, 8 uh, that we need to, that he's walking about seeking whom he may devour. Devour. Drink down, swallow up, destroys what that word literally means. And so we're warned about how he's going to operate. So it would be wise for us to be forearmed on on that very thing. How does Satan operate today? We know he's got wiles and devices and snares and he's seeking to devour. How does he attack us? And so uh, I broke this down just three different ways and as we close tonight, but he attacks us mentally. We'll look at a little bit of that. He attacks us morally. We certainly know that. And he attacks us motivationally. Uh, so how does he attack us mentally? Well, you know what God, Satan always does? He does the opposite of God. God always confronts us with truth, right? And now what this Bible does, the Word of God calls it a mirror, even. It's a mirror. We behold and find out what man or man we are. It reveals truth to us and, and tells us truth, and it's where we get our truth from. Well, the devil always confronts our mind with error. If he can get a grip on your mind, then uh, the devil th- thinks he can lead you astray. Of course, if God's truth can get a grip on your mind. It will transform our lives, won't it? And I'm thankful for both of those being 
being true. So that's why it's important to be in the Word of God, not just to read black letters on a white page. It's important for the Word of God, not just you to be in it. It's important for it to be in you and to meditate on it and think on it and, and chew on it and, and apply those principles And because it'll change our life. It'll change our attitudes. It'll change every part of our beings. But the two fundamental difference is God confronts us with truth. The devil confronts us with error. That's exactly what he did. I know we looked at this one other time, but isn't that exactly what he did in the Garden of Eden? The very first attack, the time we read about Satan in the Garden, he confronts Adam and Eve, and he simply says, Hath God said, Thou shalt not eat of every tree in the Garden? Did God really say that? You remember all that? In fact, if you went there, and I think we did a little bit of this, I can't remember in another lesson, but I'll just summarize it, because this is the way he still works today. Uh, this is, this is his mental, Satan's mental attack on the Word of God. If he can get you to doubt the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God, the truths contained therein, man, he's got a place to work from. Remember what he did? The first thing he did is questioned God's Word. <laughs> Hath God really said? If he can get you to question it, you're going down a bad road. It's deception, it's deceiving, all those things that he is, his wiles, his devices, nothing new here. This is the same way he attacks today. He got them then to subtract from it. He got them to take away the word freely. Uh, and you can do those comparisons. I know we did it before, so I won't take time to do all that tonight. But compare Genesis 3, verse 2, versus Genesis 2, verse 7, or verse 16. And got them to remove the word freely. If he can get you to say, you know, I don't like that in the word of God. I'm just going to ignore that one. You got to go read sometime over in, I think it's Jeremiah 36. I believe so. There's a king there who didn't like what he read. Uh, that was being prophesied. You know, the Bible says he took a pen knife and cut it out of a scroll. You don't like it. That's what we're doing today. I don't like that one. <laughs> Read this thing over here I like. It's all God's word, right? If he can get you to do that, that's his device. That's the way he attacks. He wants to question truth, and the truth is the word of God. And if he can do that, he's on the road. Then he gets you to add to it. Uh, and uh, remember, the, he, they never said that uh, God never said they couldn't touch of that fruit of the, of the tree of good or knowledge and evil. He just said they couldn't eat of it. And he got them to add to it. And neither shall you touch it. And, and boy, if we can add to it, there's places all over the place. And I won't get off on this too far. But yeah, I preach in a lot of churches. There's places all over the place adding to the Word of God. I can just tell you that. Uh, there's, there's people literally, and I've even met them here, come in and ask me about books that aren't even in the Word of God. Be careful, right? Don't add to it. And then they got them to soften it, right? That's what we're doing now. Well, uh, lest you die, they said, shall surely die. You know, God said, shall surely die. Oh, lest you die, start softening it up. Then they just flat led to the place where they denied it. Remember, God said, you shall surely die. Then actually Satan said, you shall not die. You're not going to die. No, they just flat denying what God's word said. Then they blasphemed and He said, he just doesn't want you to do that because you should be as God's. And that wasn't his big problem. He wanted to be God. Now he's just past saint. You see what he did? See the, the commonality of what he did to, to mankind as well? That's why I'm excited one day he's going to the, <laughs> going to the lake of fire. Amen? Uh, and then he ignored and disobeyed God's word. Guess what? They ate, right? Got them to do all those things. That's what he wants to do in our lives. It's the way he mentally attacked it. Eve, no different today. It's the way he's going to do it with you. Be careful. Know your word. That's why you got to be in your Bible. And don't ever, listen, let anything, I don't care if it's on a discovery channel, a religious channel, some preacher somewhere saying it from a pulpit. If it don't line up the word of God, this is right, they're wrong. Can I get an amen? Amen. It's very important to understand that. Because uh, that's Satan's primary attack. Remember, he can be transformed into an angel of light. I believe he's got some puppets and pre pulpits all over the place doing that very thing. So make sure you be like a Berean. That look in the Word of God and see if those things are true. So Satan's attacking us mentally. Hey, he'll attack you mentally too. Uh, are you sure you're saved? Would God ever ask you that? Uh, does the Bible really teach eternal security? Well, everlasting life. You know, it's pretty simple, right? Kids can understand some of these things. Is that really a sin? I always thought about it this way. If you had to ask, you probably already know your answer. <laughs> People used to come to me all the time as a pastor and say, Pastor, what do you think? I, I've been looking in the Word of God. Do you think it's okay to do that? I said, that sounds like you already got your answer. 
I'm not going to tell them yes or no. That's for them to discern with the, with the Holy Spirit of God. But if you drove all the way down here to find out that and meet with me and all that, you probably already know your answer. Uh, and this is a big one today. Doctrine's not important. I know we're in a doctrine class here. Oh, my doctrines. Yeah, yeah. I know this isn't exciting preaching. This is hard, harder, deeper teaching in some ways. But, but listen, doctrine's important. They'll tell you this. Let's just all drop our doctrine and come together. You heard that? That sounds spiritual, doesn't it? Until you define it, doctrines are the teachings of the Word of God. What they just said, let's drop the teachings of the Word of God and all come together in the name of Jesus, of course, right? That's the way they'll add to the end of it. Careful, careful. Uh, yet, so he's still getting, he's still attacking in all those ways today. He's always attacking truth, truth, truth with error. Uh, so he'll attack us mentally, he'll attack us morally. That's uh, at a heart level. We'll talk about the the mental was at the mind level, the tactics morally, it's a heart level. He not only wants to get in your mind, he wants to get in your heart. And it all starts when we give him a place. That's why the Bible says, hey, neither give place to the devil. You know, as a believer, he can't possess you, huh? but he can oppress you. And he definitely can depress you if you allow him place. Somebody once said this, I always loved it. If you give Satan an inch, he will be a ruler. I always thought that was pretty clever. I think that was Adrian Rogers said that. but uh, He wants you to hate the things that you ought to love. And he wants you to love the things you ought to hate. And that's the way it works every single time. Uh, and he's real. And he's been doing this ploy all, ever since we first read about him. You know what he does? First thing he does is make sin attractive. That's exactly what he did. Hey, you can eat of the, the fruit of any tree in the garden except that one tree. You know what he did? He made that the most beautiful fruit of all. <laughs> he made that so appealing to him. That's what he does with all sin, isn't it? Especially the ones he knows we're weak in. He just makes that so appealing, so appealing because he knows and made it more attractive than the other. He makes it attractive. Here's the problem, though. The devil will show you sin's entrance, but you never get to see its exit until it's too late, do you? The devil will show you sin in the night, but he doesn't show you how it looks in the morning, right? He'll show you sin's pleasure but not to punishment. To show you what sin looks like at the first, but not what looks like at the last. He'll tell you, hey, just look at that bunch over at church. They don't ever have any fun. I don't know about you. I've had more fun being a Christian than I ever did as a lost man. I wish I would have figured it out 30 years earlier. <laughs> he taxes us morally by making sin look attractive. He also taxes us morally by trying to mar our testimony. Again, he can't have your soul if you've been saved by the grace of God. Amen. Well, we learned this in the other, some of the other doctrines, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit class. And we learned that that moment you repent, that you change your mind and you turn and you put your trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, that he died for you, was buried and rose again. That moment, the, the, the Holy Spirit of God indwells you and seals you until the day of redemption. That's what our Bible teaches us. Isn't that wasn't pretty awesome? So he's in there. He's in there to say, and, and, uh, and he can't have your soul, but I can't, I'll tell you what he can have, your testimony. And he'll do everything he can, I'm telling you what, to ruin your testimony. He'll, he'll, he'll do everything he can to, to get you to question that. You know, next thing you know, you're talking like you used to talk, right? Laughing at the jokes we used to laugh at. You said, that's really minor. It, it is in some ways. But guess what? Those people you're laughing with are probably lost people that aren't going to see any difference between you and everybody else, right? He'll get, we'll go back to doing the things we used to do. What's the big deal? I'm saved. I can't lose it. This is why everybody hates that. A lot of other churches that don't believe in eternal security hate that teaching because they, they feel like, oh, y'all just think you can get saved and go do whatever you want. No, if you're truly saved, you'll be miserable doing whatever you want if it's outside the will of God. That's called conviction from the Holy Ghost. And he'll put us under some chastisement, amen? Doesn't mean we won't mess up, but I'm thankful when I do, I got a God in heaven's going to tell me I messed up. And I have an opportunity to get that confessed and get right and get clean again and... and uh, I have to do that a lot, and I hope you, <laughs> I hope you don't have to do it as often as I do, but unfortunately I do. Uh, he'll get you to just whatever. Your tongue, I mean, gossip, whatever. He'll, he'll just get you to say, listen, to the point where you'll lose your testimony. So if, if there's anybody else out there in the world that you need to be an influence on, they'll say, if that's what a Christian's like, then I don't want to be one. You ever heard that from the lost world? Mm -hmm. That's his goal. And he'll do it with you, too, if you give him place. That's the thing. And then he'll really do this. He'll mess up the local church. 
Uh, he hates every Bible preaching, Bible teaching church. I'm going to tell you, he hates it. He hates it. You go back in the uh, that early church in the book of Acts in Jerusalem there, and things are going nuts. 3,000 saved on the day of Pentecost. A few days later, 5,000 more saved, and the gospel spread and faster. People were excited. All this happened, and and the devil had sent persecution and on the outside that didn't work so you know what he tried next he went on the inside got hold of some people's hearts uh, if you go back to acts chapter 6 the the grecian women in the church and their needs weren't being met and all this and and the apostles weren't able to get the attention that is growing so fast and and thankfully there were some wise apostles that uh, pointed some holy men of god as i believe they were the first deacons and Anyway, Stephen and some others, they picked out to go serve the congregation or serve the people while they ministered in word and, and in prayer, the Bible tells us, and there was some wisdom. But here's what he did. He just divided it up from the inside if you can't do it on the outside. He still does that today. You know what he wants? He wants you to hold grudges. He wants you to get your feelings hurt and wear them on your sleeves so everybody can see them, right? Uh, you know, where. Bring that covered dish to a covered dish dinner, and how come they didn't eat all my pie? <laughs> yeah, I mean, whatever. It's amazing. Hey, you pastor for long, you figure out what offends people. Uh, I learned real quick that you better get a little bit out of every bowl because everybody's watching you if you're the pastor. <laughs> he didn't eat my. He didn't eat. I brought banana pudding. He said, like banana pudding. He didn't eat my banana pudding. He got that other banana pudding. And I learned I had to eat even the banana pudding I didn't like. And there ain't much banana pudding I don't like, but I have traced it some. Somebody say, hey, man, I'm not there anymore. Like that. <laughs> uh, he'll get you to be, make it all about you. I, I, I. That's what he does. How come they didn't ask me to sing a special? You can't say that, brother. I asked you to sing. Like, <laughs> I pick all the time Tim, Tim, Tim text uh, Bunny and I and Ask her to either play or sing or whatever when he needs somebody. And he texts us and says, and I always reply because he texts both of us when he does. I said, yeah, I'm in. And uh, <laughs> he said, we're good. <laughs> he never asked me to sing. Oh, I should be offended and leave, right? And, and, but it's amazing. I mean, we laugh about those things, but isn't that what happens? That's what Satan wants to use in our life. I can't believe they got the chairs instead of the pews. Or I can't believe they chose this cup. It's so ridiculous what we come up with. Satan just wants to take that and make those petty quarrels that are the work of Satan. Churches have split over on which side. I have preached in churches that split over which side the piano was going to be on. Or whether even to have one. I mean, silly stuff. It's just crazy. The, death, the devil's the author of all that mess. And what he's looking for is a willing participant. For you to wear it on your sleeve and make it about me. Well, I think never more like him when it's all about you. Lastly, he'll attack us motivationally, not just mentally, not just morally, and try to get us to do things that would hurt our testimony, hurt our church, but also motivationally. And I just simply this, he, he's got a will for your life. Did y'all know that? God's got a will for your life, and Satan's got a will for your life. I got Bible for both of those. God's will is simply this. Uh, listen to Psalm 37, verse 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his ways. The Lord has an order to our steps. He's got a will for our life. Romans 12, verse 2, you know that. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. And I'll tell you this. I don't always know what God's perfect will is in every, every facet of my life. I know His will is for me to be saved, amen? It's His will for all men to be saved. And he's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But I know this, whatever God's will for my individual life and your individual life, I know this, it's good. Listen to Psalm 48, verse 8. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is written in my heart. We can delight in it. It'll be good. But here's the problem. The devil has a will for your life as well. 2 Timothy 2, verse 26 says this. And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. That's that word snare. We, we knew still, remember? And are taken captive by him at his will. He wants you to fall in his snare, his trap. And he wants you to do his will instead of God's will. Because it's always him against God because he wants to be God. And if he can capture you to get you to do that, no matter what it is, Go through the list. Now, you don't need me to list sins and all that mess here. Y'all know the struggles we have. Everybody, all of us got one, right? Or two or three or however many. He knows what it is. You know what it is. Listen, if he can get you to do that, 
He's heading down that road. He's getting you to do his will instead of God's. Knows he can't have your soul, but he can certainly mess with you. One of the ones that, things he loves to do is simply uh, m- manipulate you to follow his plan. Then finally, this last one, but he wants to always make you think you have more time. You ever notice that? <laughs> I'll start serving next week. I'll start some other time. I'll start, I'll start, I'll start. It's kind of like those uh, handing out tracts next week. I'll serve in this way next week. I'll, I'll get involved. I'll do this. I'll do. Listen, I don't know about you. And uh, we're going to talk about end times here in the, in the next two lessons when we get to them. But I'm going to tell you what. I don't know when the Lord's coming in the air, but I know this. It could happen any moment. And it's shorter than it was yesterday. <laughs> and uh, I don't know about you. Time's running out. But let's get to serving him today. But here's the, here's the biggest one. Not just for the Christian to serve. It's also time to be saved. If you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior, and I know it's a Sunday night crowd, but listen, there's probably there might be some folks watching online. If you've never gotten that settled, Satan will tell you you got time. I'm here to tell you, don't boast thyself on tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. My Bible says life is like a vapor that appeareth for a little while, then vanish away. Get it settled today. There's a God in heaven who loved you so much. He sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to enrobe, enrobe flesh to do one thing, to go to a cross, die for your sins, take your place. He became your propitiation, your satisfaction for your sins and my sins and the sins of the whole world. And he'll save you. If you will realize you're a sinner that needs that Savior and call upon his name, put your trust in him, he'd save you tonight. My Bible still says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Get that settled. The devil will tell you you have time. I'm here to tell you we're not guaranteed anything. But in eternity, wherever we chose, based on what we believe about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we sure do love you tonight. We thank you, Lord, for... Just time to set aside to study our greatest adversary. But at the end of the day, Lord, I'm glad tonight to just report that the Bible still says, "Greater greater is he that is in me than he that's in this world. You're greater, you're stronger, you're more powerful. And with you, Lord, nothing can come against us that shall prosper because you are the one true God. Thank you for our lesson. Thank you for our time together, Lord, for here's someone who's Never trusted Christ. I pray tonight they'd get that settled. For us, Lord, I pray that, that, that are saved to have had that time and place, Lord, and gotten that settled. Help us to be aware of the wiles of the devil. He's still real. He's still walking about, seeking whom he may devour. May we leave this place no more about his devices. In Jesus' name, amen. And God bless you. Have a good